and welcome to you in five years week two okay let's try this this side welcome to you in five years week two okay let's try again this year this side you in five years week two okay that's better let's try it online you in five years week two a big welcome to everybody yes it is so exciting we are part of a series um, of learning what we would become in five years and what kind of decisions and changes that we need to make today so that you can meet you in five years so that the you that you meet in five years you will like I'm sounding like, you know, somebody online. The you and you and the you and me is one and the same. <laughs> right. And that's the series that we are in. And the heart behind the series is aimed to help you to make choices today. And, and the choices that you make today is going to determine how you're going to be for the rest of your lives. We're not going to wake up one morning hoping and believing that you'll be a changed person without making any decisions or choices today. And that's what we are learning. And last week, we looked at some of the things. I just want to recap some of the things that we learned last week. We saw that most of the problem is that most of us, we underestimate what we can do in the, sh in the long term, and we overestimate what we can do in the short term. Many of us, we do this mistake that we underestimate the small, small things that you can do for long term, that will bring a, bring a big change in your life. And we stop doing it because we don't see quick changes in our life. We live in a life or in a culture where we want to see quick turnovers, quick changes. And because of that, we underestimate the long-term commitments that we could have. And what we do is that we overestimate what we can do in short term, that we spend so much energy into it that we forget what can happen to your life in the next five years. We saw that you will be just an exaggerated version of yourself in five years, whatever that you're doing right now. If you're doing good, you will see an exaggerated version of you being good in the next five years as well. If you're being lazy, you will just see an exaggerated version of your laziness in the next five years. So whatever that you're doing now is just going to get better and better in five years' time, whether that's going to be good or bad. So this is what we learned last week. And this morning, week two, I would love to talk to you on this title. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We encourage you to take notes. It really, really helps. So if you got a pen, a paper, or your sermon journal, or if it's on your mobile phone, wherever, you can just, you know, take notes. And the title of my sermon this morning is In the Absence of a Crisis. In the absence of a crisis. You know, crisis kind of inflates a lot of things in our life. Even spirituality. Corona has brought a lot of people closer to God. Amen. Yeah, great. Hallelujah. But what happens in the absence of Corona? You know, they say in America when the Twin Towers was hit, that's following Sunday, a lot of people turned up to church. True. For the next two years, the number of churchgoers 
were rapidly raising in America because of the crisis. But soon when the crisis starting, started to die down and people started to forget the crisis and they start to become comfortable back with their own lives, rapidly the spirituality they had started going down. How would your life look in the absence of a crisis? Now this morning we are going to look at um, the Old Testament from 1 Kings chapter 19 and we are going to look at a few other chapters and we are going to look at the life of Elijah and Elisha and we're going to draw some principles of how we can make changes in our lives even in the absence of crisis and I want you to pay a very very close attention to these passages that we're going to read today and from the life of Elijah and Elisha you know and how you know their lives can teach us today uh, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 19, what's happening is that Elijah, God is asking him to seek out and find Elisha. Elijah, you know, is like praying to God and it's like, okay, what's going to happen next after me as a prophet? And God is talking to Elijah and he is saying, hey, I have a successor for you. His name is Elisha. And Elijah is like, really? You had to call an Elisha. People are going to get confused. Elijah, Elisha, is it Elisha or Elijah? Why can't it be a Harry or, a, you know, somebody else? So, Elisha is chosen. And, and now, Elijah is seeking out to find Elisha who's going to take over from him after he's gone. And now, this is what is happening in 1 Kings 19, verse 19. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. It's in great detail. We know who Elisha is. We know which family he belongs to. And he comes from the Shaphat family. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, Elisha is from the Shaphat family. <laughs> I just really like the name Shaphat. So cool. Yeah. Son of Shaphat plowing a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Now you got to understand, if Elisha has got 12 teams of oxen, it means that the Shaphat family is loaded with money. 12 oxen is equal to today's 12 super top-notch John Deere tractors. Yes. If you want to get one, you can go to Madurai. Just Google, just a side note there. The description will be at the, no, it won't be. <clears throat> 12 oxen. God chose Elisha from a very, very wealthy family. Now, you've got to understand the context that people got called from. This is not the first time. Abraham was a very wealthy man when God called him. It's not that God only calls the broken and the poor and, 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 and I've got people saying, coming to me and saying like, Pastor, can you, can you take, him to, take my son to ministry? I'm like, oh, why? What happened? Is he not, is, what, what happened? No, no, he's not doing so well in studies. I'm like, what? So what? Put him in a tuition, not send him to Bible college. No, no, I don't, think that, I don't think this is it. I don't think he's going to be the best. Maybe God can do something with him. Uh, we, we are giving up on him. 
is, is kind of a cheap scapegoat right now in our family. So, so please, let, let God do something with him. No, God, God is not like that. He can pick somebody from the most affluent, influential family, wealthy family. He can also pick somebody like David who had sheep and he's just, you know, is a shepherd. Totally forgotten by his family. Maybe David was about to go to Bible college. I'm not saying everybody who goes to Bible college are forgotten by their family. I went to Bible college as well. Right. Twelve oxen. Enormously wealthy. And Elisha is about to leave his wealth, his family, and join this mission with Elijah. But watch what happens. It says, then Elijah went over to him. You got to picture this. You got to picture this. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and walked away. This is how Elisha was recruited to follow there's, there's a very symbolic, I think I need to act this out. Armel, join with me. You're going to be the Elisha today, right? Now, he is plowing. You can do this. Yeah. Okay. Start from here. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and slow. No, don't worry. Don't worry. I got a jacket. I got a jacket. I got my jacket. He's going to have a man's jacket. Never done it before? Okay, so just, just keep doing that and, and move forward close, yeah, one step at a time. And now you're thinking, oh, there's this man called Elijah. I wonder what is happening to him, right? Can you think about him? Cool. And you can sing this song. These are the days of Elijah. Yeah. Now, as he's singing this song and he's plowing the land, he's slowly moving forward. He's got no clue what is happening. Now, Elijah... He found Elisha plowing the land, and he just comes, put his cloak on him. Yeah, he's very surprised. Putting his cloak on him, and he walks away. Now, here is Elisha standing here. The reason why Elijah put his cloak on him is because there was an anointing placed over Elijah's life. Whenever a cloak is being passed or a coat is being passed or, or a mantle that falls upon somebody, it's a symbolic representation. There's no like, you know, would you like to come follow me? Would you like to, do you love Jesus? Do you, you know, there's no conversation here. The mantle fa falls on you. You leave your 12 John Deere tractors. You walk away. You just walk away. Now this is what, thank you, thank you Elisha. Now this is what is happening in, in his life. And you see, this guy is, is no, Elisha is no just making some decision. He's making a really serious decision. And if you continue to read the verses, he's telling Elijah, he's saying, can I go kiss my family goodbye and follow you? Which means that he truly understands because, you know, he's, he's, he's the prince of that family. It's they, have, they have the Shafat enterprises going on. He's probably the Bruce Wayne of the family. Too much Gotham. Okay, he's, he's the Bruce Wayne of the family. He's the Elisha Wayne of the family. And, and there's too much to walk away. There's too much to walk away. His parents has got dreams for his life. 
Now, Elijah Wayne have to go to his parents, Shaphat and Mrs. Shaphat Wayne, and tell them that I'm going to walk away from this enterprise that you have for me because a crazy guy called Elijah came and put his coat on me. Sometimes when God calls you, it looks ridiculous, doesn't it? When God's mantle falls upon you, you're like, oh, on me? No, 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 God, not me. You got the wrong address. Not on me. And you feel it's, it's impossible. You feel it's absolutely, you know, ridiculous that this calling is over your life. So you shun it, you shut it down. You say, God, this is not for me. And you don't even approach your family about it. You don't even approach the challenges that you're facing about it. You don't even step out and talk or pray over it because you just decide it's not you. Now, I want us to go forward to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 14. Now, now the first thing that Elisha did was he took a step of faith. He left. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 14, now Elisha is being anointed and Elisha is being used by God in a mighty way at a particular situation. It came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. <laughs> here is Elisha who left everything. He knows that his master Elijah is about to be taken into heaven. And Elijah is telling Elisha, everybody staying with me? You all clear who is Elijah, who is Elisha? There's too many shahs happening. Okay. And Elijah is telling Elisha and he's saying, just, just stay here. Let me go. And Elisha is like, <laughs> not happening. Until my soul lives, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stick with you. Now, this is not just Elisha sticking with a man. He's sticking with the anointing that is placed on a man. Watch, watch carefully what is happening. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from your from over you today and he said yes I know keep silent he's like do you think that I don't know because I've been waiting for this moment not that he didn't like Elijah but about the anointing over his life and and they are coming and reminding him and he's like yes I know keep silent then Elijah said to him Elisha stay here please for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho so again, the journey is continuing from Bethel to next stop to Jericho. And even at Bethel now, you know, uh, Elijah's looking at Elisha and saying, I think he's messing with him. I think he's just testing him if he really wants this. Because he knows, Elijah knows that Elisha is going to take over. The, the anointing is going to fall on him. The mantle is going to fall on him. But does he really want it? Does he really want it? Every step, every stop. Do you want to settle in Bethel, Elisha? Elisha is like, no, 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 no. Do you want to settle with 50 people, KCC? Do you want to settle with 100? Do you want to settle with the job that you have? How much do you want God to move in your life? 
Every step, he's being tested. So Elisha is like, oh, Bethel is nice, actually. Why don't I hang around here, meet a few people, baptize a couple of people? Maybe I can catch up with you. He did not say that. Until my soul is breathing, I will follow you. Same answer. Same answer in, uh, you know, in, in Jericho as well. He's saying, do you know, verse, uh, verse 6, he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And, and, and verse 7, sorry, in verse 6, then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me on to Jordan. So first stop is Bethel. Second stop is Jericho. And verse 6, they are now coming to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while two of them stood by the Jordan. Now I need you to imagine what is happening here. And Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water. Now what is happening here is that now they have an audience. So far they were traveling. But when they came close to the event of the supernatural that is about to happen, what is happening is that 50 sons of the prophets are standing at the distance and watching. They're looking at Elijah. They're looking at Elisha. And now they need to cross over Jordan. And Elijah picks up his coat. And he goes, all right, we need to cross Jordan. I'll find a way. And he takes his coat and hits it on the ground. And he, as he hits it on the ground, this is what is happening. He struck the water and it was divided this way. And that so the two of them crossed over on a dry ground. So it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what may I do for you? I just feel like, you know, Elijah is really, really messing with Elisha. He's really pulling his leg. Okay, I asked you to, you know, I tried to get rid of you in Bethel. You wouldn't go. I tried to get rid of you in Jericho. You wouldn't go. You've now come all the way to Jordan. What is it that you want? What is it that you're after? Maybe God is asking you like, okay, you're attending all the life groups. You're online. You're offline. You're praying, you're worshipping, you're giving. What if God asked you this question? What is it that you want? What if God just turned up and asked you this question? What is it that you want? Okay, this is what I've been waiting for. And pull out my list. Let me start with the black matte finished Lamborghini. And then we'll go. No, this is not what is happening here. Lord, I lost 12 John Deere tractors because of this man. Can I have a 24? You know, can I have double so that I can, you know, I can, I can make more? That's not what Elisha is saying. Watch what he's saying. He's asking him, what is it that I may do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now the reason he says that is because everything that happened in Elijah's life is not because of his magic coat. It's not because of his magic coat. 
There is no magic or no power on his coat. The power is in the person that is in him, in Elijah. The spirit that Elijah is carrying and the spirit is from the Lord. God's spirit, God's anointing, the Holy Spirit that Elijah was carrying. Now what Elisha is asking is a double portion of that. Whatever you had, a double portion. Now look at, look at Elijah's response. He said, oh, you have asked for a hard thing. Mm. Let me think about this. Elijah has done about 14 miracles. So 14 into 2, I have to do the math. You, gotta, you want to make... An, 28 miracles? No way. It's not happening. You know, you have asked for a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, again, I feel Elijah is just being really, really sarcastic here because what happens in the next couple of verses, when you see me, if you see me, you know, it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. Elijah is like, really? I've come all the way, and you're saying, if you see me being taken up to heaven, then maybe you can have it, maybe not. And then verse 11, it said, Then it happened as they continued on and talked, that suddenly chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. Elisha is being super dramatic right now. And verse 13, he says, he also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from heaven. Elijah disappeared. The mantle is on the ground. And Elisha goes, wow. And he went back and stood with the mantle. Now he has to go back, you see. When they, it, it, it doesn't stop there. Now this is where faith comes in. It's so easy when you just, somebody's modeling things for you, leading you. It's so easy to do things. Now, he, he has got what he wanted. He has got what he's asked for. But he still doesn't know because all he can see is the coat that has fallen, the mantle that has fallen. Now, you've got to remember those 50 people are still watching. But this time, when Elisha is going back, he's not going back with Elijah, but just the coat. Now watch what happens. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood again by the bank of Jordan. Then he took the mantle and Elijah, of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? When he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that Elisha crossed over. I would be a little nervous if I was Elisha. I'm like, okay guys, show is over, 50 people over there, why don't you just go to your homes, I will find my way across. I don't know if this thing is going to work or not, I don't want to be embarrassed, I'm not ready yet, I need some practice. You know, I'm not, I'm, I know I'm called by God, but you guys just carry on. I will catch up. 
I know God is calling me into ministry, but just carry on, Pastor. I will come, I will come. I just need some practice. I just, I'm not sure if my anointing is real. I'm not sure if it's authentic. God is speaking to all of us and He's saying, just take it and strike it. Go for it. What are you waiting for? Because the power is not in the mantle. The power is in the spirit by making everybody feel comfortable. Not everybody is going to understand the anointing over your life. And if you're going to wait to convince everybody, God is waiting. You're keeping God on hold so that you can convince everybody. A drastic action is needed to move forward and not a soft move. There's a bit of science in this. Do you want to hear this, Pridwi? This is basically Newton's first law of motion. Every object will remain at rest. Eating biryani. Waking up late. Being last minute. This, this, this applies to humans as well. Or in uniform motion in a straight line unless... force every object will remain the same you will keep waking up late until you're forced to wake up early everybody said Amen. right you will keep doing the same thing again and again and again and not bringing any change because you feel like you're fine I'm in a straight line but then there is an external force that comes that compels change. God allows a crisis to come. I feel that external force in 2020 has been, was called COVID. We were all compelled to change in the ways that we did not expect to happen. Everything changed. Church changed. School changed. You know, education changed. Your personal lives changed. Spirituality changed for people. Everything changed. Drastic action. Taking fast, fasting, is a drastic action. Committing your life to take baptism and following Jesus, baptism is a drastic action. Showing everybody that I'm not playing here. I'm going to show the world in public that I have decided to follow Jesus. No messing around. No messing around. Take drastic actions. There are some numbers that you might have to delete from your phone. There are some relationships that you might have to discontinue so that you can continue walking with God. There are some, ready for this, apps that you might have to uninstall so that you can read the word of God and spend time in God's presence. Oh, I feel everybody receiving that. Whew. Drastic actions are needed. Otherwise, it's just going to be the same year old. It doesn't matter how many planners you buy. You're not going to change. You just have a new planner. And a lot of stickers with it. That's not going to change you. Drastic actions is going to change you. Make a choice. That's going to change you. That's number one. Number two, steady progression. Number one, everybody say. Number one, everybody say. 
Number two, steady progression. Elisha followed Elijah for 18 years consistently, steadily progressing. He did not turn up after year one and goes like, okay, Elijah, when are you leaving? When is this whole coat thing is going to happen? And when is the whirlwind and the, and the fiery horse is going to come? I want to be anointed, man. I can't just be pouring water. I've got a great voice. I need to release an album. I, 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 need, I need some YouTube channels and viewers here. Come on. He did not say any of that. Steady progression. I want you to remember this. Consistent is key. Instant is going to disappear very soon. Whatever that you have gained instantly will not stay long with you. It will not stay long. But steady progression. Steady progression. That is why, write this down, change doesn't happen in a day, but it should happen daily. Change doesn't happen in a day, but it should happen daily. Steady progression, small changes. That is why this year we are not deciding to just write down goals for just 2021. We are writing down goals for the next five years. So that every year you measure your steady progression. Amen. See how you are. See where you are at. Change doesn't happen in a day, but it should happen daily. And the third thing is, enjoy the momentum. Enjoy the momentum. Everything that you are doing, you need to have some sort of momentum in your life. And you always, you, you see, momentum is so important because you can decide to go to the gym and you will go to the gym after making the drastic um, uh, action of forcing yourself and joining in and you would start working out and then what happens is that Jan passes, February passes, you don't see a big outcome, you don't see instant muscles coming out, you don't see instant weight loss coming out because it needs consistency, it needs steady progression, your body first of all it takes first three months to get over the fact and the shock that you have started to work out after eight 18 years of your life or 25 years of your life so it takes at least three months for your body to get over the shock that you are actually working out and then it starts accepting the changes and everything and it takes steady progression and what happens is that we start losing momentum in the middle and by April by May ah, I used to go to gym I used to do this, I used to do that, we lose momentum. How can you keep momentum? How can you keep enjoying the momentum? Through accountability. By having people who will support you through it, who will believe, you, believe in you, and the reason they are there is to push you, not to judge you, and those kind of people will help you to keep momentum. This is why you need a community of people. This is why you need the right people in your life. Amen. This is why life groups are important. We give up following Jesus. We give up reading the Bible every day. I told you last week, if you can read two chapters 
a day. For next five years, you will finish the Bible completely three times. Just two chapters a day, consistently for five years. And if you can be part of a life group where your life group members or your life group leader just calls you up every day and asks you or speaks to you every time they meet you, hey, how did the two-chapter reading thing going on? Oh, man. I missed last two days. All right, don't worry. Let's catch up. You know what? Where did you leave? Let's read it together. Come on, let's just take five minutes. It's going to take like ten minutes. Let's read it together. It takes people to keep momentum happen in your life. I want this picture to come up on the screen. You see, there's a guy lying on a bed of nails, happily, very comfortable. What's the science behind it? Okay, don't, it's okay, I'll tell you, he's got no idea, right? See, the entire mass of his body is shared equally through these many nails that not even one part is getting hurt. Am I right? Say yes. That not, if you, if you, if that guy lies down on one nail, yeah, on one nail, it's going to hurt him. That many nails, it's not hurting him. In fact, there's a video that you can watch that they would put a huge brick, a massive block on him, and they hit it with a hammer, the block breaks, total amount of mass, you know, the energy spreads. It still doesn't hurt him. It doesn't hurt him. That bed of nails is your life group. That bed of nails is the people that you need to keep you going, to hold on. To help you say, that's the church right there. Church is filled of people with nails. Trust me. If you're going to be hanging around on your own, it's going to hurt you. But if you hang together as God's community, as God's people, that we are all not perfect. We all have our thing that we are carrying. But together if we can share life, if we can share our weakness, if we can share our strength, if we can share our doubts, if we can share our positive things, if we can share the good and the bad, and all of us putting our eyes on Jesus, not looking at each other, but going towards one goal that is becoming like Christ in our lives, we will be having momentum. You slow down when you start to look somebody else. You slow down and you give up and say, oh, that person is doing fine. They're not waking up early. I think I can just be like them. It's fine. But you don't know the mantle that is upon your life. You don't know what that person is carrying. What you carry is the Spirit of God in you. And what sort of person are you going to be? Get into a life group. Don't do life on your own. Connect with somebody. There are so many life groups happening in our church today and, and this week. And I truly believe that our church is made of a lot of small life groups. That's the entire church. 
So don't try to do life on your own. If you want to join a life group, please talk to me after the service or to my wife or to anybody, any of the other leaders here. They will connect you, you know, um, into a life group so that you can join and keep the momentum going in your life. What happens when you do this is that you fall in line with God's will in your life. We will be in God's alignment in your life. The problem is many of us are out of God's alignment because we are not taking any of these measures. There's no drastic change happening. There's no steady progression. We are all over the place and there's no momentum and we're still crying and praying to God, God, what is happening with my life? If you want to fall into alignment and fall in line with God's word, God's will in your life, make these choices. Why don't we stand to our feet? Let's pray together.